Good work, Kobe. We on? Can you hear me? Good? Okay, so um, Thanksgiving Day, I was looking forward to eating my weight in Turkey. That's my goal every year. And I got sick and uh, have been sick ever since. And my prayer is that I make it through this message without embarrassing myself or God. I'm high on cold medication right now, and I fear for what words could come out of my mouth accidentally. For instance, just to give you an idea of the level of confusion I'm living in right now during worship, I felt I was at a Jesus concert, and I found myself accepting Jerry Hot Rod Domink into my heart as my personal guitar player. (laughs) That's just how bad it can get, people. Amen. Just, Lord, put a filter on his brain and on his mouth. That's all we really need. Um, This thing at Trinity Church on Wednesday night, let me just give you a personal invitation. I'd love to see you there. What we're going to do is we're going to train people in the uh, interesting ways that God communicates to us, both for ourselves. See, when God communicates directly to us, uh, we call it guidance when he communicates directly to us for someone else, we say it's a word from the Lord. We call it prophecy. But the way you hear God, you discern his voice, is uh, essential. It's important. If we don't know how he speaks and how he communicates, we will miss a lot of his communications. So we're going to spend some time going over those ways that God communicates. And then, and this is the exciting and fun part and why I'm inviting you to come, we bring two groups of people from two different churches together. Most of them have never met one another. So we've got a whole bunch of people that don't know anything about the other person. And we're going to link you up in pairs. And you're going to have an opportunity to wait on the Lord to hear his discernment, his word for the person that you're praying with. Isn't that neat? So we've really built in a, a, a is it a single blind or a double blind? I don't know. But anyway, you're blind. And um, you're going to get a chance to hear the Lord. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you. I just might need this. These guys, you guys are so kind to old people. I just, this church is full of love for old people because you don't have enough old people. We need more old people. Anyway, so it starts at 6.30. Why don't you come? It'll be a real practical application. And uh, you'll grow in your ability to discern God's voice. All right, Thanksgiving. This message is called, Why Thanksgiving? The heart of this message changed my life. I had a, well, I'll talk about it later in the message, but a real practical lesson from the Lord in why give thanks. And it's hard to really communicate how important it is until you experience it, but let's start with this. The Bible tells us that a life of thanksgiving, a thankful spirit, being a thankful person, is God's will for us. Listen to what he says. Any minute, listen to what he says. There we go. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hard words to hear when your life is a mess. But he's saying it's God's will for us. Well, is this, is this because he doesn't like to listen to your complaining? Is this because he has a short attention span? Is this for his welfare that he's saying, I want you to be a thankful people? Well, the answer is no. He doesn't need our thanks. We need to give thanks. That's the first thing we need to understand. Whenever God tells you to do something, it's not for his benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for our benefit. So when he says you're to be thankful in all circumstances, this is for our good and the good of others. Now here's an interesting quote. I love it when science and God's word come together and tell us the same thing. And here's an example of recent science confirming and identifying with what God said in his word. If thankfulness were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health maintenance indication for every major organ system. And this is Dr. Morali Darswamy, head of the Division of Biologic Psychology at Duke University Medical Center. Isn't that something? God tells us to do something and then we find out that it's physiologically good for us. Recent science has turned its attention upon complaining. You see, there's Thanksgiving, of course, which is the positive, and then the negative is complaining. And science has not just looked at the power of Thanksgiving, it's looked at the damage of complaining. And the findings are consistent with what the Bible teaches us about complaining and being thankful. Analysis of the recent data shows a positive correlation between crabbiness and blood pressure levels. Crabbiness. Complaining. Negative attitude. Now, the same holds true for cortisol levels. Interestingly, now this is interesting. Interestingly, listening to others complain has an even worse effect upon you than you're complaining to yourself. So if you love the people around you, do them a favor. Stop complaining. High blood pressure is bad, but high cortisol levels are even more destructive. And when you're complaining, your cortisol level goes up. Here's the negative effects of high cortisol level. Impaired cognitive performance. That's a fancy word for saying you're dumb. You don't think as well when you've been complaining. You don't think as clearly. You don't perceive facts accurately. Look, we're in a nation of crabbiness. We're in a nation of people who are offended constantly by somebody and crabbing about it. No wonder we don't perceive facts. No wonder we're confused. No wonder we don't know where we're going. Suppressed thyroid function. Guys, thyroid function is really important. It's the body's uh, thermocoupler. It controls the, the, the level of your metabolism. Blood pressure imbalances, such as hyperglycemia, decreased bone density, decrease in muscle tissue. Steve, if you keep complaining about the stock market, you're not going to have the body you want to have, even though you go to the gym six days a week, Steve. Are you hearing me? That's my friend Steve from the gym. 
And he only comes to church once in a while. And I figure embarrassing him is my life's mission. So that's my token to you today. Lowered immunity and inflammatory responses in the body. Slowed wound healing and other health consequences. And finally, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Complaining's going to make you tired. And you're going to be tired all the time. And that tiredness is going to mean more complaining. And more complaining is going to mean more tiredness. And on it goes. As I said earlier, chronic complaining isn't just bad for you. It's bad for your relational health because it affects the people in your life. Now, here's the simple truth. And we all know this about others. We're crystal clear about this point about others. People will listen to your complaints out of love, but they will not do it habitually. Come on. You've got some friend or some family member who complains all the time, and you know how quickly you hit your limit of listening to it. And finally, you just have to turn around and walk away. And the same is true when we're complaining with people. We wear them out. We wear each other out with our complaining. Can we wear God out with our complaining? (laughs) Yes, and I've done it. We can't wear him out, but we can tire him. See, he has an infinite capacity to absorb our negativity. Your friends and your family don't. But when you complain to God, habitually, eventually, he's going to let you know you're doing it. For your good. Not because he can't take it. For your good. He's going to say, this is bad for you. You should stop doing this. Eventually, chronic complaining drives people away from you. Now, here's a good quote. The sad truth is that complaining, in and of itself, brings more to complain about. Get it? You see, once you start wearing those glasses that look for something to complain about because you're complaining, now you're seeing nothing but things to complain about. Often, the result of complaining is worse than what you started complaining about. Isn't that true? You see, you start complaining about some little thing, and pretty soon you're complaining about everything, and now you've got nothing but trouble. So when God tells us to practice thanksgiving, obviously he's doing it for our own good and the good of those that we love. You with me? Okay, look, it would be really easy after having heard what I just said, to reach the conclusion that there's no room in God's world for complaining. And frankly, that's just not true. God is accepting of your sorrows and your complaints, but he wants you to do it the right way. Which raises the question, is there a right way to complain? And the answer is, absolutely. God has given us a model of how to complain. He's given us, in effect, a complaint form. 
He's actually given us a complaint form. You can take this model, this complaint form, and you just follow it, and it will, it will be perfect for your complaining, but it will end in the right place. What am I talking about? Any, any guesses? Any guesses? It's in the Bible. The Psalms. We call them the Psalms of Lament. They comprise the largest category of the Psalms. You see, the Psalms, guys, that's Israel's um, liturgy for worship. And do you know that there's more complaining in their liturgy for worship than there is thanksgiving? Seriously, the Psalms of Lament are higher number than the Psalms of Thanksgiving. These people are crabbing all the time. And I love it because it makes me feel good about, hey, I can crab too. We can all crab together. But they do it the right way. And that's the key. They give us a way to deal constructively with our negativity and yet with emotional integrity. And who is the premier example of this kind of psalm? King David who, by the way, had a lot to complain about. They bring this young kid with his guitar in to the king because the king has temper problems, has temper tantrums. It's worse than that, he's demonized. So this kid just sits down to play him something nice, like this arpeggio patterns on his guitar, and the king starts to listen, and then the king throws a rage and takes a spear and tries to kill the kid. And then the kid runs away. He hasn't done anything wrong. And now he's living for a couple years on the run with his friends, hiding out in caves, moving every couple days because the king's entire army is out to kill him. David had a lot to complain about. Running from a king and his army who had only one goal, his death. Here's King David's formula. His complaint form, which we can use, which is the model of what they call psalms of lament, psalms of complaint. Number one, we start with an honest recitation of the negative facts. Being dishonest about our pain is going to make the pain worse. Pretending that it doesn't exist merely gives the pain a place to hide in your psyche. When you don't acknowledge it, it goes underground and it begins to breed worse things in your character and in your mind and in your thinking. It actually has more power when it's not identified than when it is identified. An honest recitation of the negative facts. He doesn't deny any of his present negative reality. He pours it all out to the Lord. He begins with the truth of his dire situation and he holds nothing back. And what is God's response? God listens lovingly. God listens patiently. And he does the same thing with us because he's a good father. And he knows we're in pain. Number two. He's looked at his negative facts. He's admitted the negative facts. But it goes deeper than that. Now he gives an honest expression of his negative emotions. 
He names them. I'm fearful. I'm angry. I'm full of doubt. I've lost my hope. I'm full of despair. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. He is not afraid to name his negative emotions. Are you afraid to say out loud your negative emotions? Are you afraid to admit them to yourself? Are you afraid to admit them to anyone else? And how does God respond? God listens lovingly. Now, if this is where the psalm ended, if this is where the psalm of lament ended, these two first steps would have him worse off than if he'd not said anything. See, if we just simply dwell only on the hopeless, if we dwell only on the pain, we magnify in our consciousness that pain. Step three is when it starts to get productive. Then, having been honest about his circumstances and his emotions, he turns his attention to the goodness of God and his unfailing love. And you will see two words used repeatedly in the Psalms of Complaint of David. My enemies surround me. They wish to take my life. I have no place to hide I've done nothing wrong. This is completely unfair. I'm full of fear. I'm full of doubt. Where are you? I remember what it was like when I went unto the house of the Lord. I remember what it was like to be in your presence. But I can't rem- I, 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 I'm not there now. And then the two words. What are those two words? But... God, but God. See, having told the truth about the facts and having told the truth about his emotions, he turns his attention to God and he says, but you, God, but God. And then what does he do? He remembers the past. But you, God, got me out of this mess. But you, God, accompanied me through this darkness. But you, God, saved me from this. But you, God, were faithful. But you, God, are amazing. But you, God, and he remembers, and he recounts the goodness of God. And then he says, but you, God, promise me this for the future. But you, God, promise me this. But you, God, are faithful. And what begins to happen to his heart and his emotions and his mind? He's being lifted up. Listen, when you're lifted up, you rise Above your circumstances. When you take his heavenly perspective, when you look at his goodness, you're actually being lifted up above your present circumstances. And when you're lifted up above your present circumstances, you have something brand new. You have hope. And once you have hope, everything else comes with it. There's nothing worse than being hopeless. That's the ultimate despair. You're simply waiting to die. He turns attention to the goodness of God and his unfailing love. But that's not enough. There's one more thing he has to do. There's one more thing, one more step we have to take in this. 
He makes a choice. He makes a conscious choice to put his present and future hope in God and God alone. I'm going through a difficult time right now with a situation in Canada. I told you about it another few sermons ago. Waking up in the middle of the night overcome by a, a spirit of fear. Absolute panic. Unable to control my thoughts. Unable to sleep. It's the it's it's really it's really, it was really terrible, really really terrible. The breakthrough come came when I shared it with John and talked about it. Now when I wake up, I think you know. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to really trust God. God, you're the only hope I have. You're it. There is no solution to this apart from you. And there's no peace apart from the peace that you give. There isn't anything else. You're it. You know, it's a panic when you realize you just put all your eggs in one basket. Either God's going to get me through this or I'm going down. All my eggs are in one basket. You know what? It's a wonderful feeling when all your eggs are in one basket. On the one hand, there's the panic. All my eggs are in one basket. And then there's the other. All my eggs are in one basket. I'm serious about this. You're going to come through for me in this. And what he told me, in the, the, next, night, the next morning in my quiet time, writing in my journal, he said, when this is over, you won't have fear anymore. You'll be free of fear. I thought, that's worth the price of admission. We have a choice to make. Once we've said, but you, Lord, but you, Lord, have been faithful to me in the past. You have never, listen to me, he has never failed me. I can scrounge through my history and I cannot find a time when he ever failed me. Yeah, I went through really bad times. But boy, did I learn from them and I was a better person afterwards than I was before. Yes, always closer to God. He's never failed me. Does that mean every one of my pleasant circumstance prayers? Oh Lord, hair? That wasn't answered. It's not going to get answered. Oh Lord, win the lottery, but I haven't bought a ticket. I'm so upset he didn't answer that prayer. Listen. When you, make, when you make the test of God's presence in your life, your circumstances, and that's the test of whether he's there for you or not, you're in big trouble. But when you make the test of God's presence in your life, his presence in your life, with me in the times of trouble, giving me peace in the times of trouble, giving me hope in the times of trouble, taking my fear away in the times of trouble, when you make that the test, he's never going to fail you. Hello? It's a relational kingdom long before it's a physical kingdom. And it will be a relational kingdom long after the physical passes away. We have a choice to make. 
after we've been honest about our circumstances, honest about our emotions, and we've looked at his goodness in the past and his promises for the present and the future, after we've done all that, we still have a choice to make. And it's a simple one. Am I going to trust you in this situation? Am I going to put my hope in you and you alone? And David always ended with that thought. And that lifted him up above his circumstances and gave him a heavenly perspective. A long-term perspective. A godly perspective. Some of you have heard this story before and I'm sorry you're going to hear it again, but you're going to hear it again. There was a time in my life when all this stuff I'm talking to you now became real to me. I was uh, in a, oh, I mean, twenty-year marriage ended. She left. My best friend betrayed me. Church split. Slandered. My mother died. My new wife got sick. Stayed sick for 23 years. I went into the darkest depression that I have ever been in. There was a year that I prayed daily for God to kill me in a car accident. I I knew I couldn't commit suicide because it was wrong, but I just wanted to die. I forgot what it was like not to be depressed. I didn't think I could ever be happy again. And I lost hope. (laughs) So funny. I look back over that time and I I think, um, how did I get through that? How did I get through that? I looked for the factors. There were three. They're not going to make any sense to you at all. The first one was Monday Night Football. I'm not kidding you. You see, I was in such a despair and such a depression. There was nothing, no escape from it. But I looked forward to Monday night football because those guys, those announcers, they were like my friends. And for three and a half hours, I could forget about where I was. And I just longed for Monday nights. That was the first thing. The second thing was going to the gym. I have no clue why I kept going to the gym but I kept going to the gym. (laughs) And I got a personal trainer, and it changed my life. And I accepted Eric into my heart as my personal trainer. (laughs) And I just want to bring him up right now to talk about personal training and what an opportunity. And I also have a multi-level marketing opportunity for you that you're absolutely going to love. So I, so I, I kept on going to the gym, but here's the third thing I did. And this is the one that, you know, actually matters. I didn't stop my, my prayer time. So I've been trained in prayer and, and um, I just couldn't stop it. So I would go to God every morning for an hour and I would sit there in pain. And it was just horrible. There was no sense of his presence. None. But I kept on doing it habitually because I didn't know what else to do. And I would just be in my prayer time and I would just hurt. 
And I complained and complained and complained to him. It was the classic pour your heart out. Day and, and wishing to die, like literally praying, please arrange a car accident today. I meant it. It wasn't a prayer life, it was a prayer death. And he seemed so absent. And I called out to him over and over again and I said, I've lost your peace. I don't have your peace. I would give anything. You know what I'm talking about, people? Do you know the peace of God? Do you understand the peace of God? This thing that happens when he he comes and he's present, and all of a sudden his peace is so good and so strong that even though your circumstances haven't changed, even though nothing's changed, you're okay because you have his presence, you have his peace. I had lost that completely. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I was the leader of a church at the time. I would get up on Sunday mornings and preach. Me, the most screwed up person in the church, would get up on Sunday mornings and preach. And the Spirit of God would come on me and He would flow through me and I felt healthy and whole and happy for an hour. And as soon as the message ends and I walk off the stage, it's me again. I'm a complete emotional mess. Do you know how humiliating it is to be leading a church and be the sickest person in the room? It gets to you after a while. I lost his peace. And the lack of peace was fueling the depression. And I had lost hope of ever having peace again. I was complaining to him about this. And a Bible reference came into my mind. And I looked it up. And this is what it was. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even when the... There it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. People, I did not take that as good news. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And I said to him, What do I have to rejoice about? I said, this is actually cruel, you popping this passage up in my mind. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Who cares about gentleness? I don't. The Lord is near. No, you're not. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you serious? Seriously? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the thing lacking in my life, And the peace of God, which transcends all of your understanding of your circumstances. And the peace of God, which can lift you up above your circumstances and restore your hope. Because it goes beyond your rational understanding of the mess that you're in. Will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Are you serious? Seriously, Lord. Are you telling me that if I come and present my mess with thanksgiving, that you're going to give me your peace that transcends my understanding of the mess? Answer, 
Yes. He said to me, when, I, when this dawned on me, he said, and he wasn't being accusatory because he's never been that way with me. He was just being factual. He said, when was the last time you came to me with thanksgiving? And I said, I don't have anything to be thankful about. And he said, when was the last time you came to me with thanksgiving? And I said, I can't remember. And he said, do you want the peace? And I said, yes, I need your peace. He said, start now. I said, what? He said, start now, being thankful, start now. All right. So I'm having my quiet time in the tub. I used to have my quiet time in the tub. And I thought, and I'm not making this up, okay? I got, I got to come up with something to be thankful for because he told me to. It's one of the few things I'd heard from him in months. Be thankful. Start now. So I thought, the water's warm. The water's warm. And this is up in Canada where the weather is punishment. You people don't know weather. You don't have weather. Stop bitching. You know nothing about anything. You live in a, you live in a pretend place. We have weather in Canada. And I turned my head and I looked out the window and it was sunny. And I said, it's sunny. So the water's warm and it's sunny. And then I thought, Shelly still loves me. Wow. I thought, and I got a couple friends that still believe in me. My dad still believes in me. My mom believes in me. I have some friends. I thought, I'm in a house. They haven't taken the house. I thought, I got a car. And I remember my guitars, Josh. I got my guitars. And I just went on thinking of these little things. 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And what happened at the end of 25 minutes? The peace came. My heart was finally at peace. I did it the next day. Everything I could think of to be thankful for. I don't care how small it is. I'm thankful for it. And that became a habitual thing because there was no other way to get through this. There was no other way to get, and it took three years. It wasn't quick. <laughs> I be at pastors' meetings years following, and it'd be time to pray, and I'd start with a prayer like, "Thank you for my car. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for my house." And Sometimes I'd see these guys look sideways at me like, what's wrong with that guy? What's he doing? I'm doing what God taught me to do because I have to get through this. People, I don't care what situation you're in. I mean, I do. I do care. I I feel your pain. No, I feel your pain because I feel mine. But look, No matter what situation you're in, there is something to feel thankful for.
Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line in being thankful. The bottom line is that we have a bottom line. That's the bottom line. We have a bottom line. I'm not kidding. No matter what suffering you're experiencing now, you're going to heaven. Hello? No matter what suffering or difficulty you have now, your future is assured. And there is going to come a time when we're there where you will not be able to remember this present pain. The Lord came to me after I was practicing Thanksgiving. I was in a meeting and I was still in a mess. I was still wrecked. And they had a call for broken leaders. <laughs> if, you, if you're ever guest speaking anywhere and you want to fill the front with people for prayer, just say there's a bunch of broken leaders here. Come forward for prayer. And you'll have something to do. So they said, there's broken leaders come forward. So I came forward and I was a complete mess. And the Lord said, I poured out my heart. You know, why am I here? You should fire me. This is ridiculous. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Just release me. I'll drive a cab. I mean, I don't care. Just get me out of this situation. And he said, soon I'm going to come on you with raw power. And I'm going to heal your pain. My heart. And I said, yeah, right, whatever. I said, soon in your, soon in your book means a couple thousand years. <laughs> no, I was mad at him. I, I was upset. We always had a good relationship. We always tell the truth. I said, yeah, right, whatever you say. Soon. Yeah, soon. Like Paul said, soon Jesus will return, and here we are 2,000 years later. So, like, I'm not banking on a great deliverance here. He said, no, he said, no, no, soon I'm going to come on you with raw power. Three weeks later, we were in Toronto, Toronto Blessing. And I went forward. <laughs> There's broken leaders here who need a touch from the Lord. I'm up there right away. And this old lady, I'm standing there in the first row, and I got my hands like this. And this old lady, she comes up, she looks at me. She doesn't say a word. She puts the index finger on the center of both my palms, and she begins to pray. And this electricity went through my body like I was being electrocuted. I'm bouncing up and down and shaking. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just like what happened the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God. And then it dawns on me, this is raw power. There was no, I had no emotional um, reaction at all. I was merely being electrocuted. It was neither good nor bad. It was just death. And I'm being electrocuted by this power flowing through me. And I'm realizing, this is God. This is just what happened to me 20 years ago. Whatever it was, years ago. And it goes on for 15 minutes and I'm just getting toasted. And then it stops instantly. And she lifts her fingers and she's got this smug look in her face. Like, told you so. You know. And she goes on to the next person. And all of a sudden I realize, I don't hurt inside. I don't hurt inside. People that went away in that moment, and I've never felt it since. And now when I stand here and think about it, I can't remember what it, I mean, I can remember how, 
I can remember that it was really bad, but I can't get in touch with the emotion. I can't get in touch with that despair. It's gone. It was gone like that. And that was 20-some years ago. And it's never come back. The bottom line is that we have a bottom line. And however dark it might be, and however bad it might be, when we're with Him, you won't be able to remember what it feels like. You will not remember your tears. Heaven will be just like that. Only not only will we not be able to remember the pain and the sorrow, we will live with the joy that we can't imagine now. And we'll truly live within the center of the source of all happiness. We will live forever with Him. See, we always have a reason to be thankful because we have Him. He is our bottom line. And every crisis is an opportunity to draw closer to Him. Okay, let's apply this. Let's do just a little ministry time here. Close your eyes. Let's do one of David's complaint forms. Let's just do it right now, each one of us, and see what happens. An honest recitation of the negative facts. What is it in your life right now? However large or small, what is it in your life right now that is the source of pain or fear or frustration, confusion, anger? Tell them the truth. Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. These are the facts. Take a moment and tell him the truth. Now let's be honest about the emotion. Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is the fear. This is the anger. This is the doubt. This is the hopelessness. This is what I'm feeling. Be honest about it. Now turn your attention to the goodness of God in your life. How has he been for you? How has he loved you? How has he cared for you? And if you can't find something, how about this? I died for your sins so that you can live with me forever. 
and then make a choice. I'm going to put my present and my future in you. My hope is in you. And I'm going to make a choice to put my hope in you. And you alone. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust in your goodness. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because I'm near. Don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer, with thanksgiving, come to me and present your request to me. And then I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you peace beyond your rational understanding of your situation. And I'm going to guard your heart and I'm going to guard your mind in myself. And Jesus said, receive my peace. And he breathed on them. He breathed his peace upon them. And he breathes his peace upon us right now and upon you right now. Just receive it. Just receive his peace. We're going to end by worshiping. Let's sing this song as our prayer to the Lord. Good, good Father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've Father, see you.
See you.